0: Okay, you ready to start this show? <laughs> uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, live baby on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise and glamorous hollywood adjacent california from the studios of sirius xm west boasting an obstructed view of one of la's leading cement factories this is the tully show i am your host mike tully joining me today the second place finisher in the field of dramatic interpretation at the 1995 Harvard Invitational Forensic Tournament and a one-time alternate contestant for the Nickelodeon series Double Dare. Hello and welcome myself. And hello and welcome you, the Tully Show listeners. Nice to speak to you again. I, um... I assume when I do this that somebody is listening. It's just a little little game that I play with myself. It feels weird to be speaking almost out loud. It definitely feels weird to be speaking in an adult manner. My main gig, as you all know, the Jason Ellis Show has been off for most of the week. Jason's had the flu. Um, and so I have been home, but I've been tending to my daughter. Everybody is sick. I think this is uh, probably it. Well, <laughs> obviously, there's a bit of a global situation. But coronavirus, notwithstanding, I think there's a lot of people ill all over the place across America and parts of Canada, all of you. So I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. My daughter, thank goodness, was spared the coronavirus. We're all very happy about that. And uh, even the flu that Jason and a couple kids in my son's orbit have had. She had a little ear infection, but I've just been home with her. So the only subjects that I have been speaking about for like four days is ear infections and Minnie Mouse. We're very big Minnie Mouse fans at the house. So I'm going to transition my brain. Uh, Luckily, I have something to talk to you about. It's something I'm very excited to talk to you about. I started to put one of my little solo episodes Together, thank you to everybody who listens to this show and listens to these in particular. I love hearing feedback. I obviously, uh, I, I can tell there's people who listening, who are listening, who have a shared in- interest in the same dumb crap that I like, and and hopefully that'll be the case today. Um, I started to put this episode together, and I realize in a lot of ways this is the culmination, the summation of everything I've done on the Tully Show over the last couple of years. However long I've been doing this now. And in many ways, the summation of my entire career, I just want to do an episode, we'll see if it stretches into two or not, at least one episode about the worst music ever recorded. And I've gotten at this so many different ways. I've made fun of music with Kevin Kraft on the show. We do it all the time on the Jason Ellis Show, new releases, what have you. I've done it uh, with Mark McGrath many times, but really just get down to the nitty gritty strip away any other trappings. This is just about crap and it occurs to me before i get into this that i i maybe it comes across that i'm like bitter about everybody knows i'm a failed musician and for sure there's part of that but trust me even when i still thought i was going to be a successful musician i still loved listening to shitty music and making fun of shitty music so It comes from a good place. I actually want to be clear about the fact that I do like music since I do episode after episode of things that I do not like or I find to have uh, been lacking one way or another. I want to share with you a couple of things that I've personally been enjoying that's newer stuff, not just stuff that I listen to because a guy who used to be in LA Guns did it as a side project in 1991. I think I've mentioned, I know I've mentioned Diarrhea Planet on on the Jason Ellis Show. They came up and we were doing a segment on the uh the worst band names of all time but you know what turns out diarrhea planet kicks some fucking ass and i don't know if it came across over that already raucous and sound in the background i did not say kick i said kicked as diarrhea planets work their work on this planet is done they've gone back to their home planet of uh of wet feces apparently and i'm bummed that i missed them because fucking listen to these guys check this out Please. Fuck yeah, dude. It's amazing after all this time you can still just write a rock song that's all the moves we've all heard 50 million times. But when you just fucking groove a fastball with movement right down the middle, it's still unhittable, boy. Did I just say boy? I have not spoken to a human being in like over 100, uh, well, my daughter's, I guess technically qualifies as one, in like over 100 hours. That song is called Separations by Diarrhea Planet. Fuck Off of the album, I'm Rich Beyond Your Wildest Dreams, which fun fact was not true. Diarrhea Planet had a uh, modicum of success, though. Do you know what's fucked up? When they came when when uh when they came on my radar, I'm like, now why does that name ring a bell? First of all, because you don't forget a name like Diarrhea Planet, but also because I had an opportunity to see Diarrhea Planet live in the flesh. Remember when the darkness were on the show? God, I really, really I can't Justin Hawkins, is that? Yeah, that sounds about right. That guy's so fun. I was not prepared for how um, he's like Russell Brand before Russell Brand, how entertaining he is to talk to. And I was there like, okay, let me ask you an interview about your use of the pentatonic scale. And he was like, fuck your interview. Let's fuck around. And I didn't adjust well enough on the fly. I'm going to get him back in here and I'm going to know that it's going to be straight up nonsense for 51 minutes and 25 seconds next time if I can uh, track him down. But anyway, when I had the darkness, two guys from the darkness on the show, I got tickets to go see them live that night or the next night or whatever. And who was the opening act looking back fucking diarrhea planet. And where was I at the fucking bar, which in my defense is usually a, a safe attack uh, when it comes to going to see bands, opening acts, but every now and again, you fucking blow it. You, you miss somebody you should have seen. Here's another act that I have been enjoying recently. Um, they're called Let's eat grandma because, as you can tell, I only listen to bands with completely stupid names. But here's the thing there are two very strange British children. They're young British girls. They're not that young anymore. They were, but they were like 14 or so when they cooked these jams up that I'm about to play for you now off of the album I Gemini. And the weird thing is they do this creepy little sing-songy... It's funny, because I don't think they're trying to be creepy, and they'd probably be offended to hear that. I just find them to be creepy. Wait, that's... Wait, what the hell's going on here? That's still Diarrhea Planet. When will I learn to use buttons? So, uh, here we go. There we go. They usually do this sing-songy thing, but on one song, one of them raps... And it turns out this little 14-year-old girl is the best MC since Biggie. So. (sighs) They do go on. Where do they sing? Almost. Okay, so this is them singing. I think one of them is about to drop a rhyme. Check it out native with a peculiar illusion, intoxicated with an electric infusion, intoxicated, with track trapped to the music, syncopated because I remember where to go. Getting in the zone, move your body, and I hit my hip bone, and it was like yo, as I've been living in a bad up world. Bottle top girl, a spray, but i scotch flavor. covered in grazers. So come up with excuses that i losing. Remember when the ATL came out and was really big in hip hop? Well, ATL obviously Atlanta had a mis- admitted uh, existed. <laughs> for a while before Atlanta hip-hop was prominent on the national scene. But remember, it was just because people from New York and Los Angeles had run out of words to rhyme with other words that we hadn't heard a million times. So Atlanta just showed up and we're like, everything rhymes with their now. And so they just got access. They got the keys to a whole fresh take on the English language in hip-hop. I feel like that's what uh, Let's Eat Grandma got. Because everything British, it's like French and Spanish. Spanish rapping must be very, very, very simple, given that every single word rhymes with everything, right? Okay. But we're not here to celebrate great music, although I just... Diarrhea Planet, uh, Let's Eat Grandma. I recommend those. A couple others. I don't have time. We are here to celebrate, and I do mean celebrate, the worst crap that's ever been recorded. And I've kind of got a neat segue from... Two talented uh, teenage girls to three really, really untalented teenage girls. And I feel bad kind of even bringing it up anymore. I'm sure there are many people who are listening to this right now who are familiar with the Shags. Probably more people, people who know more about the story of the Shags, frankly, than I do. I'll tell you the legend as it was always handed down to me, which is that the there's this dad who thought it would be a good idea for his daughters to have a band or absolutely insisted that his daughters attempt to become uh, the next Jackson 5 or something. So he forced them to pick up instruments and to write songs, but there was no apparent talent, and he did not really force them to learn how to use their instruments properly. So... I guess it wasn't an option for them to say no to their dad. I Frankly, I have no idea how the Shags feel about the Shags. I'm, they came out in the 60s, but they were kids, so I'm guessing they're still around. I want to say that they've done some, like, reunion stuff, because, well, let me play it for you. Basically, they had a renaissance. They had been sort of known to hardcore rock geeks and critics and stuff as this horrible band, and that's what kept the name alive and what kept the records in circulation, but... Then the nineties show up and bands like Sonic Youth and like uh, and like Nirvana are all of a sudden like, seriously though, that's the greatest shit I've ever heard. The Shags with their classic single, My Pal Foot Foot. Hey man, you got all those drums, you gotta use them. Together. Spoiler alert! It does not. Let's get ahead, shall we? My powerful oh, oh. foot, 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 always likes to go. My powerful foot, foot, foot. Now he has no home. Where will foot, foot, foot? What will foot, foot do? Oh, foot, foot! I wish I could find you. I've looked here, I've looked there, I've looked everywhere. Oh, good, good why can I die? Okay, I changed my mind. Nirvana and Sonic right? those chicks are frigging geniuses. You ever listen to Stereolab? Stereolab are like this kind of jazzy, cool, French, moogie, analog, electro-poppy kind of thing. I just realized that Stereo Lab are just like the shags with talent. Um... The amazing thing about the Shags to me is you got to remember this is in the um the era where there was no home recording. You had to go to a recording studio, and maybe the girls had gotten some enthusiasm for what they were doing by then. Maybe they loved. Maybe they were like, "Dude, wait till you hear my pal, my pal foot foot. It's gonna blow you away. It's gonna be huge." Um, because nobody, the dad could force the daughters. Here's my point: to make music. But nobody could force an engineer or recording studio to actually sit there and mic it up and then mix it and give it to them. So why were so many adults complicit in the child abuse that was uh, Philosophy of the World? I think was the name of the album by the Shags, which is, why did children call their album that? I don't know. Moving on, here's a guy who was not forced to do anything. This is a guy who was known as the legendary Stardust Cowboy, the Ledge for short. And the crazy thing is that this single features a very well-known musician, T-Bone Burnett, on drums. And the other crazy thing is I know I'm supposed to know who that is, but I have no freaking idea. Wait, did I meet him? Is that the guy? Did he? I think T-Bone Burnett once told me a joke for like four solid minutes that almost didn't have a punchline so maybe that explains why a guy like that would have ended up on a track like this, I'm just going to pick it up right in the middle maybe you've heard Paralyzed by the legendary Stardust Cowboy LSD for short, he says he thought of it before the drug was invented oh god, I do that all the time we got this shag still going T-Bone dead on the skins going to sing, too. All right, let's skip around. There go. There you go. That is a native English speaker, I believe from the South. I think he just was just like, "Hey, man, it's all been done. if we're gonna do something fresh in this genre of rock and roll, which is at that point you know at least three months old we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have to think outside the box and think outside the box he did, and he took that very, very seriously. I according to Wikipedia, am led to believe that he appeared on I don't know like the gong show or or something like that and stormed off the stage. This was a legendary moment in 1970s television where The Ledge stormed off of the set because he felt that they were laughing at his magnum opus. He recorded other stuff of that ilk. There was a B-side to that, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it probably just sounds like, like the A-side. This next one, and we're talking about the worst music of all time this week on The Tully Show. Hope you're enjoying it just as much as I am. Is... Well, it's not different from all the acts that we're going to hear from, but it's different from the two that we've heard from so far, in that it features some very credible musicians, indeed some household names. This is um, Lord Such and his heavy friends, I think. is and, and heavy friends, doesn't matter. Lord Such, I guess, was one of these fringe characters that was around British rock and roll in the the heyday, kind of like maybe like a wavy gravy of the British... Side he was always like running for prime minister with wacky ideas like you know feed the children acid or something like that and uh, but he managed to befriend some really really happening dudes some cool cats and among them was Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin who produced and played on this album got John Bonham to also play on it Jeff Beck is on this like this is a fucking super group of 1960s rock and roll uh, British rock and roll that. Somehow, still ends up being considered one of the worst pieces of shit anybody has ever heard. So, uh, let's, let's see. Lord Such and His Heavy Friends. Hopefully, just one anyway, thing playing now. We'll take a chance. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to present to you Screaming! No! page. They're hitting most of the notes as usual. Ah! I'm grooving. So he obviously could have worked a little bit more on what he was doing lyrically rather than just saying, here's the chorus where we have a call and response guttural moan. But it's going to surprise nobody who is familiar with my take on things when I say that, I don't know, that just sounds like British classic rock to me. If you told me that that was the greatest shit of all time, man, you don't know that was fucking Jeff Beck's cool shit before he sold out. I would have no choice but to accept your word for it. But I guess whenever they do polls of British music, uh, music press. That comes up right at the top of the worst crap ever recorded. I don't know. Oh, yeah. He is still doing hooby dooby dooby now. <laughs> Fucking Page throwing down. I don't think that's Jeff Beck. What the hell am I talking? About? I have no idea what I'm talking about. They all sound the exact same to me. This next act also features a legend, but unlike. Lord Such and Heavy Friends, which was uh, a bunch of already famous people moonlighting on the side, Attila, which I, I can't believe I've never heard of before and I don't think I have, was a, is a two-person act. And one of the people I don't think really went on to do much of anything. The other one is an absolute household name in, in his right. But before, Billy Joel was the piano man. He was one half of, like, a heavy rock band with keys. Now, I did know that Billy Joel, and I find this really interesting and very cool, and it should be inspirational to anybody who has a dream and people are telling you it's not going to come true or you have doubts about it coming true, because most people, I find, when you have a dream, will go, that's a fucking awesome idea, and then just laugh at you behind your back. But Billy Joel had a record deal. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's the deal that he had with Attila he had a deal. He was on his way and he it just whatever he made flopped. And he was back to square one so much so that he just starts playing music in a bar to make ends meet. And the song Piano Man is about his experiences and then he writes Piano Man and gets signed again and the rest is is history. But it's really amazing to think that, you know, he lost his record deal. Bruce Springsteen was if Bruce Springsteen didn't write Born to Run we we wouldn't know about him because he put that single out and it was so successful it bought him a long enough leash to make the album Born to Run and the rest is history for him. But otherwise, he's two and done and even somebody like me from New Jersey, I don't know if anybody remembers Bruce Springsteen if he hadn't you know hit that home run with uh, the last second shot if I can mix sports metaphors here. Anyway, Billy Joel was in this act called Attila and let's take a listen to this. Psycho Freakout, 1970s. Billy Joel and John Small. Now I know what you're wondering. Are Billy Joel and the other guy... On the cover of their album, standing on a beach after dark, wearing metal breastplates and animal skins while surrounded by a bunch of huge pieces of meat hanging on meat hooks? And the answer is yes. Once again, how is this different from real classic rock? Is that BJ on the vocals gotta be, right? The you me to fire light. My brain has lost My on the keys. It's not too late, Billy. You know, he still does that residency, right? So cool. It Because, you know, he's a New York guy, he's a Long Island guy. And so he started doing a thing at Madison Square Garden. Doesn't, you know, tour a whole bunch anymore. He's getting up there. And so he did a, one show at MSG and he booked another one for the next month. And I think he said he would do one night per month at MSG. Until it does not sell out. And I don't know how many years that's been going for now. And I know people who've gone, and he's just the best. They say about certain people that, you know, they can turn a nightclub into an arena and an arena into a nightclub. And he's definitely one of those, of those people where he'll just like bullshit with the crowd and say, oh, should we play this one? Should we play that one? And he plays all the hits and everybody leaves happy. And um, I, I was, he was definitely somebody that I was down on as a music snob. But if you, if you really can find it in your heart to hate Billy Joel, I would I would argue that maybe the problem is not Billy Joel the problem is uh is you. Billy Joel is a uh, is a net positive for planet earth in my opinion. Hot take. <laughs> 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 Haven't spoken to an adult in 5 days. Did I mention that? This next person is the only person who is going to appear on this show twice if uh if we get to all of the selections that I've prepared for us today. Uh you gotta be pretty good to be allowed to be pretty bad for as long as this person because one of these uh pieces of music, we'll call it, came out in like the 70s and the other one came out like thirty years later. I'm speaking of the legendary and legendarily enigmatic Lou Reed. Now I've I brought this up on the show before. One of these days, I know I talked to Tony Thaxton about it on his bizarre albums. Uh, podcast, which hopefully everybody is checking out. He's always talking about these contractual obligation albums. I know he did an episode with Van Morrison where let's get Lou Reed going in the background while I blabber on here. God, I thought I turned off Attila. Did somebody come in here and just sit in on the show and just hit turn things on and off for me. It's it's the one thing I well, there's many things I can't do. Anyway, yeah, I know that Tony did a thing on the Van Morrison contractual obligations album the guy owns the owes the label one more album they won't let him out of it but nobody can stop him from just Hershey squirting something out in an afternoon and calling it an album so Van Morrison just sat there and improvised a bunch of music Lou Reed went to his grave I forgot he was dead I was about to say we'll go to his grave and I realized I have to speak of Lou Reed in the past tense R.I.P. Lou Reed went to his grave as far as I know insisting that although the world assumed that Metal Machine Music was a contractual obligation album where he just basically set a couple of guitars up to feed back and then walked outside and shot up and came back in 45 minutes and called it an album he swears that this is is his art and god damn it he might have been telling the truth it is Oddly fascinating. I mean I did obviously his record label could do nothing to to sell this. There's like there's four sides of this. this. Might be a double album. A double album. So that's just part one, but wait until you hear I don't know. Let's check out part three here. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. But crazy thing a la the shags there used to be so few outlets for music young people listening will never understand that it cost money to make an album it was a production to produce an album you had to go somewhere just this morning dude i walked past uh, and i've driven past it a million times but i was looking for a mailbox and so i was on foot in los angeles which is a weird thing to do and so i walked past the record plant like you, even if you're not a music geek, you probably that probably rings a bell. If I'm not mistaken, Guns N' Roses recorded "Appetite for Destruction" there, but it's just one of like a a million classic albums that were made at the record plant. And they still got the cool old school facade outside and all that. It's right around the corner from. Uh, it's right next to the um, the cement factory. That I'm so fond of mentioning at the intro to this show. But anyway, it used to be hard to make an album, so the only people who got to make albums it's kind of like making movies was until more recently was people who you had to get a record label to give you a bunch of money, and they needed to recoup on it. They couldn't just make a piece of shit for the art of it because somebody's going to lose money because it costs money to record the thing and to press it and to ship it to stores, and, and you had to have a store that was willing to take it. Nowadays, people can just get weird, and you can find weird stuff that's made on a shoestring budget. Very often, weird stuff even succeeds nowadays. I'll say that for the modern world. But back then, there were weird people. They were like the children who were going to be the alternative revolution, and they would just listen to all this mainstream pablum. Like I just saw, I walked past the record plant this morning, and I also saw in the SiriusXM Pandora Los Angeles facility here, uh, Marie Osmond. She might actually be one wall away from where I am right now. If you're Sonic Youth or you're Kurt Cobain or you know somebody a little bit earlier than that, and you're listening to the radio and you hear Donnie and Marie, and you're like, that does not feel anything like the way my life feels at all i feel so strange i feel like a, an alien walking among like a, an interloper of the human race and then lou reed puts out an album of four sides of feedback and the shags put out my pal footfoot Foot, and you listen to it and you're like oh cool there's other weird people out there like me and maybe you don't even take like inspiration in terms of boy when i get old i'm going to turn a guitar on and let it feedback, and walk outside and shoot up heroin. But it just gives you the idea that, you know, you can go outside of the box and that you might not be the only person who's interested in making that or hearing that. So I don't know, maybe is metal machine music, the worst piece of music I've ever heard. No way. I would listen to that while I like, like boiled some pasta or something. Um, I do not know that I would say the same about this, which I've always heard of, never heard before. There's the the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which wait, not the Beatles album, which nobody says is the worst to me, a little overrated. But, um, but there's this movie that they made right in the late seventies. I want to say, did Peter Frampton star in it? Or I, it doesn't it doesn't matter. By all accounts, and I think there was already some stuff going on with the Beatles where there was such a halo effect around them where anything that was attached to the Beatles but was not one of the canon albums that had been made by the Fab Four, it wasn't just enough to say, well, obviously that's not the Beatles. It had to be said that this is a worthless piece of shit that's desecrating the sacred relics of Beatlemania. So, like... For me, I'm not offended by, like, the Bee Gees recording uh, a Beatles song, but a lot of people were. This, I kind of get why people were like, seriously, why did you guys bother making this? Yes, Lou Reed's still playing in the background, of course. Let's see if I can not do that once. Maxwell's Silver Hammer. I'm sure you've already identified that that's what this is a cover-up by now. Featuring the guest vocal stylings of uh, funny man Steve Martin. Fuck, I really thought he was going to come in there. Joan was quizzical, studied, had a physical science... In the home majoring in medicine, her Very reminiscent of when Tony Thaxton from Bizarre Albums was in here recently and he was talking about George Martin, the Beatles producer, making one last album and letting what was it? it was Robin Williams that was on that, right? It's like you just feel bad for everybody involved. Because he knows, or was it Jim Carrey? Like he knows, Steve Martin knows that this is, they're like, you should come do this thing. And he's like, I don't really know. And they're like, every cool musician is doing it. We have the best blow. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll see you. And then he gets there and he's like, yeah, I don't think Steve Martin even does blow. So he's like, why did I say yes to doing something for cocaine? I hate cocaine. And uh, my hair turned gray when I was, 13 years old. I really don't think I need to be putting weird shit into my body. My body's got enough issues as it is. So they just put that out. And uh, I guess, luckily for them, largely forgotten, except for the biggest biggest dicks, like myself, I guess, now that I'm talking about it. Steve Martin and whoever the hell else made that abomination from the Sgt. Pepper's soundtrack. We're moving our way. Chronologically, I might have mentioned that we started in the uh late sixties and we are up to nineteen eighty right now and of course when music is bad it's it's gonna shadow what's going on at the time it's made that's good. So everything's about to get a little a little disco with this thing well, this, uh, I forget what this is exactly. At least there's only one piece of music playing I got that going for me. Reginald Bossenkit. Move on Move down, move round, move side. Move, keep on going for a ride. We work all day, all week, all month. All year except three weeks. Enough? Dance, do up, do up, do we? Dance, do up, do up, do we? Dance, do up, do up, do we? Fuck yeah, if Steve Martin doesn't want the cook, then oh, I'll have do some it. Fun. Yes, this guy, it Reginald Tyndall, Kennedy Reggie Buskinet, was a British journalist and broadcaster who was the anchor of the news at 10 on the British ITN network for over 10 years, 1967 to 1979 technically kind of sort of a a lord his great-great-grandfather was sir nicholas conningham tyndall lord chief justice from 1829 till uh, whenever and this guy read the news and was a bit of a joke i guess he had trouble pronouncing names sometimes and was known to slur at times and it was widely assumed that he was drunk while he was doing the news said uh, one person one time He was a deer. I mean, you wouldn't have chosen a man who had epilepsy, was an alcoholic, had had a stroke, and wore a toupee to read the news. But the combination was absolute magic. So the people obviously demanded more than just the ITN News at 10. And Reggie gave it to him. It's not clear to me why he made this. Usually there's the backstory. It just seems like, no, the guy from the news made this shitty disco song. What? what? What What do I need to explain here? So that's that. Here's an interesting one because I don't think so far we've played anything that was successful. And I noticed that this is something, What you know, I look at all these different charts. I do a bit of research for these, although it doesn't always show. Um, uh, uh, articles. What's the worst shit ever? And mainly it's stuff that's either forgotten stuff from forgotten artists or forgotten stuff from mainstream artists. But what starts to happen more and more is horrible shit actually strikes a chord with the general public. And so it it goes from being forgotten stuff to like, oh, fuck that thing. Yeah, that was terrible. Like, I didn't... This is one of these pieces of music that you're just sort of like familiar with and and you forget that at one point somebody had to like make it and that it obviously... Like, there's a reason why you know this, because it broke at one point. Did you know that there was an act called The Tweets? And in 1981, they recorded the Birdie song and then made appearances on such shows as the one I'm looking at right now appears to be Soul Train, American Bandstand. I'd like to think Soul Train was above a bunch of people wearing really half-assed Chuck E. Cheese grade characters it looks like the bear is about to pass out so yeah it's a bunch of guys in costumes and yeah that's garbage but never underestimate the power of well i guess popularity plus what you can make people do if you let them be on tv i know you're wondering um you're saying well yes that's terrible but there couldn't have possibly been a room full of teenagers that would dance to crap like that. Oh, no, no. You would be wrong. They, would, they, The kids could not get enough of uh, of the tweet or whatever the hell that was. I forget. I, I prepped this episode a really long time ago. I forget what this thing right here is all about. So let's, let's just experience this together. It's Yep. Push pineapple, shake the tree. I gotta do do, do. Push pineapple, grind coffee. To the left, to the right. Jump up and down and to the knees. Come and dance every night. Sing with a hula melody. I met a hula mistress somewhere in Waikiki. well she was selling... I don't know. If your grandma likes it, I'm not going to beat your grandma up over it. Aga Do by Black Lace. Um, this next contender for the worst music ever. Oh, can I pitch something here? Is it just me? Like, I would hang out in a bar that only played the worst music of all time. Not like feature, not like it's on screens and everybody, shh, shh, shh I'm trying to listen to Aga Do, you dick. But just like the vibe. I would, I don't know. I would go there. This next album I didn't know was considered one of the worst albums of all time. Full disclosure, I'm pretty sure my wife owned it. And um, Well, okay. Full disclosure, when I met my wife, the first time I was in her car, she was listening to a deep cut from Sean Paul. She didn't just have the Sean Paul album. She, she did not just have like, give me the light. She had the whole thing. And, and I still, to this day, make fun of her and tell her that that's her favorite artist. And I remember thinking, well, she's nice. We'll, we'll go to a couple dinners, but who can be serious about somebody who listens to Sean Paul? But this next album, I can remember her listening to on Shuffle, mixed in with other stuff, five CD change or what have you, and just not being moved by it one way or another. I was unaware that Duran Duran's Thank You album is like widely considered To people who even know that it exists, like one of the most horrible abominations, all the members of the band have at some point or another had to admit, yes, we shouldn't have done that. It was so terrible. All it was was like it's a covers album. Again, you might be looking at one of these contractual obligations thing where, you know, the labels owed an album and they're too busy doing Steve Martin's coke to 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 make something. Or, you know, they're not getting along or what have you. And so they go, it be really easy rather than writing music. Because writing music is hard. Making it relatively easy for us to just pick some songs we like, go in the studio, crank some shit out. And who knows, maybe we even get a single out of it because these are songs that are already good. They're already popular. Now, I remember Lou Reed coming up again on the show that Duran Duran did a cover of Perfect Day by Lou Reed on this. That I didn't think I was the only person who was like, oh, shit, not bad at all. Look at you. Simon Lebon. I thought that was a very, very minor classic. Their cover of at least a respectable piece of music, uh, but apparently everybody knows that that this thing sucks. I definitely will say that everybody was uh, was right about Duran Duran, one of the whitest acts of all time. If I remember correctly, did not one but two hip hop covers. One was White Lines. Again, didn't think it was so bad. This one was a little bit more questionable. Just put the gun, the I'd still rather listen to that than half of the quote-unquote classic Duran Duran singles, but that's me. Anyway, worst music of all time, possible entry, Duran Duran covering Public Enemy. It will surprise no one for me to admit that I once owned this album. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby. fantastic you can brush my hair me everywhere imagination life is your creation come on barbie let's go party okay one guy three guys are gonna dm in instagram and go you know what i always like barbie girl too even though it's we all know it's garbage nobody's are you nobody's like hey man i just don't think you get it the aqua that was the act that made that work aqua were fucking geniuses man nobody's gonna say that but it's a it's a more than catchy little tune. What I am a little bit embarrassed about is that I bought the follow-up album, which is called uh, Aquarius. And this was the, the piece of shit that they tried to pass off as the follow-up. We are what we're supposed to be. Illusion. Is that an angel singing? No, 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 no. That's that guy too. Oh, it's so bad. I bought that album too. I brought it back. I brought it back. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, it doesn't absolve me of anything. I bought the second Aqua album. Jesus Christ. What is wrong with me? There's lots and lots of really, really bad British pop from this era. Like in the wake of the Spice Girls being a little cheeky became kind of cool and it was like kind of fun to be. Kitschy and shit like that, you know. The Venga Bus was coming and what have you. And indeed, this act were known as the Cheeky Girls with the the Cheeky Song. Yeah, that's the cartoon heroes. That's the hook. In case you were wondering of the Aqua follow up, here's Cheeky Girls. England's just so depressing. This next one, everybody knows that this is really, really bad. Um, you can't do a worst music of all time and not bring up K-Fed, right? Ah, oh, yes, yes. Did I do it again? Well, I learn. No, I know. It's just I'm just alternating between two sources of music. Not that hard. This is on me. Remember when Papa Zao came out? Toy-yo-yo-kay. What we all thought when Papa Zhao came out, other than <laughs> that, oh, look at Federline. He thinks he's a musician. I mean, so does Britney, so who really cares? I just remember thinking it was so weird that this song was about him wanting to fuck other people. It was like, K-Fed, you've hit the mother load of being a human barnacle. She's going to hear this, dude. You're going to blow. Like, she's gonna leave you over Papa Zhao. Is this worth it? Just write love songs to Britney if you must. Yeah, and then uh, I mentioned that Lou Reed was going to be on here twice. Can't talk about the worst music of all time and not mention the just at the time to this day baffling collaboration between Metallica and Lou Reed. The normalcy, a heartbreak, the purity of love. But I worship the young and just formed angel who sits upon the bin of lust. Everything else bores me. I want to see your suicide. I want to see you give it up. Who's the guy from Metallica that wanted to to do this? Like James has to be on board for this to happen. Why do we just? I just assume that everything is Lars's fault, and I don't know if that's if that's fair. It's got to be some combination of Lars and James. But like, what are what is Kirk Hammett thinking about while they're? doing this. Hey man, you know, Vina Metallica's Metallica's very, very, been very, very good to you. you. Gotta take the good with the bad. What's Robert Trujillo thinking about while he's basing along with this, doing his whole like monkey man routine? Is he just like, man, don't forget three years ago you were sleeping in vans. Tonight you will be staying at the Four Seasons while Lou Reed lays a vocal down on this abomination. Lulu was the album from Lou Reed and Metallica. We uh, obviously a lot of people who are in reality TV kind of stuff nowadays fancy themselves musicians. And thanks to technology, it's never been easier to live out those dreams to a tiny little small extent. So Farah Abraham. I kind of respect Fairy Abraham because I even know who she is and I don't know who the teen moms are, but this chick, once she got her toe in the door of fame, was like, I'm not giving it up no matter what I have to do. And it's gross, obviously, because she's a mom and she did the weird, her whole porn saga, but I didn't know that she had made like a really bad music album. I can only put so much in a song. No, no situation is ever the same. Break it down, Farah. Cut off action into my brain. My Trip on that. <laughs> this might have been an album made in real time. Vera, here's a beat. My and my one, 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 one. Just say anything. This album's got to be on iTunes at 6 p.m. Just do something. That's the title track, My Teenage Dream Ended. I'm sorry, I want to hear more of these. There's the phone call that changed my life. I think she and her baby are on the cover of the album together. So, Are these all the same track? but it's just the instrumental version. It's called the phone call that changed my life. Here's After Prom. I talk a lot about how I don't like smoking weed because it just makes my brain go to weird places that I just, like, I'm like, why am I going here? This is what smoking weed sounds like to me. Ugh, it's... Making me uncomfortable. One final track that I want to play for you to wrap up this Worst Music Ever Recorded episode of The Tully Show. Thank you to everybody who is listening. The last thing I want to play is an album that came up on the worst albums of all time lists over and over and over because it just had to be very much like the Sgt. Pepper's album. It didn't matter how good it was going to be. It wasn't just going to be received as bad. It was going to be received as the worst. So was the case. With the Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy album, which, as the joke became, right, that there was going to be democracy in China by the time they released the Chinese Democracy, I get it, It's it was absurd, but that having been said, as I've discussed in the show with Mark McGrath a couple of times, there's a couple of, not good, but great songs on the Chinese Democracy, which is just Axl Rose and some guys, I hate that he got the name, but... I don't know if everybody got around to checking it out because it just was so stillborn. But I'm just gonna say this again: other than the couple of big singles on the Usual Illusions, I would say this is better than anything on the Usual Illusions. This is a top five song for me. It's better than Usual Illusions. But I feel the way you want to feel about "Don't Cry" and uh, "November Rain." Check us out. It's just really, it's really good. And then that seems like a good place to end the worst music of all time is uh, with a reminder that everything is subjective and everybody, one man's treasure is another man's trash and vice versa. Everybody just listen to what you love. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm back next week, I believe, with a guest one way or another. I will see you.